All right, here we are again, Idiot and Expert, Episode 9. I'm Calcho Joe. I'm here, of course, with my uh, my co-host, the esteemed Claudio Perfetto. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, at CPerfetto11. You can find me, at Calcho Joe 5 And, of course, you can find our Twitter handle for the podcast, at IdiotExpertPod. Um, so this is Episode 9. I Haters said we couldn't make it this far, but we've done it. Um, a lot to talk about in the soccer world. Um, a lot to talk about in the general sporting world uh, as a whole, and we'll start with the Champions League in Liverpool and Roma, um, which you said was the most salacious matchup possible. Yeah. Um, no pun intended with most uh, Salah, uh, but <laughs> oh god, <laughs> what, what is seemingly the most interesting matchup um, due to Mo Salah being with Roma beforehand, yeah. um, and the first leg. Ends up with uh, with Liverpool winning five to two over Roma. Liverpool, of course, was at home. Uh, was that an expected result, or were you expecting a little bit better out of Roma? Yeah, I was expecting a little bit closer um, from Roma. You know, see the thing is against Barcelona, they lost four to one in the first game, but they actually played very well, and um, they were unfortunate to lose four to one in that. But there was like. I guess a 60-minute period in this game where Liverpool just dominated well, them. At one point, it was 5 nothing. It was 5 nothing. So they did really well to get those two goals at the end. And they almost had a third at the end, which would have really completely gave them the momentum going into the second game. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I, I, if I'm a Liverpool fan, I'm happy with a 5-2 scoreline. But I am annoyed that they gave them the well, two goals because that would have put it away. You were at a point you had a, five, a 5-0 lead. Yeah. Um, and you kind of let them get off the mat, mm-hmm. so to speak. Exactly. exactly. Um, if, if you're if you're up five nothing um, at that point, you think it's over. You, th- you think yeah. this this whole le- whole leg is over. Uh, you think this whole matchup is over, both legs. Um, but Roma finds a way to score two goals. Um, everything that I've been reading about Roma, and you can speak better to this, and you can tell me, um, it's kind of a microcosm of the team. They don't really die easily. Um, they, you know, they play until the last minute, uh, and they've really been doubted every way, every step along the way here. Um, then, you know, down 5-0, they can easily fold. Yeah. I mean, look, you look at it this way. This is a team, now you saw firsthand Mo Salah play against Roma, and people in the Premier League have been watching him all season. This is a team that lost him and still got to the semifinals of the Champions League. So... They've been counted out all season from the group stage to the not the round of 16 second game, obviously against Barcelona. Um, and they keep getting off the mat, as you said, and they keep fighting. Uh, this is a little tough because the game itself, Liverpool is so fast, especially the front three, that in the second game, even though Roma's going to really press and they're going to give their all, it's hard to see Liverpool not scoring a goal because they're three passes and they're already on the other end of the field, open, ready to shoot. Now, in the previous round, they came back against Barcelona and it obviously took the soccer world by surprise, the whole world by surprise. Does does that hurt Roma in in any way that that element of surprise really isn't there? You know, as as a team that's... They've done this before. I'm sure Liverpool is going to be extra sensitive about that issue. Yeah, and you have to look at Liverpool as a team that 
in their quarterfinals, they were up 3 nothing uh, going into the second game against Manchester City. And Manchester City scored right off the bat in that game. And Liverpool kind of didn't really panic. They, they controlled like the next bit of the game. And there was a little bit of a controversial play at the end of the first half in that game where Liverpool, um, Manchester City, sorry, scored, but the, they ruled it offsides when it probably shouldn't have been. Now, if that goal would have counted, it would have been 2 nothing going to halftime. Maybe they would have panicked a little in the second half. But it's basically a team that's been there before with this big lead. The away goals hurt hurt them, you know, that Roma scored. If Roma's able to get one early, it's they're right well, back in it. Let's talk before we move on to the second leg. Let's talk a little bit more about the first leg. Is this a matter of just a team being much more talented than another team? No, I don't think so. I, I think what happened was Roma tried to use the same tactics <laughs> because that they did. Against I mean, Barcelona. I, I know I'm I'm the idiot here, but five nothing. To yeah. jump out to a five nothing lead, I feel like that's kind of reserved for disparate matchups when one team is very very talented and another team is not talented at yeah, all. Yeah, I mean, but you know, if you if you look at the Barcelona matchup for Roma, they were able to press Barcelona, and Barcelona, even though they have some fast players, they're not the fastest team. You know, they have Iniesta, they have uh, Busquets, they have Messi. These guys. They are, you know, Messi's quick, but he's not blazing fast. So they play more possession. You know, they try to control the game. They try to break you down with short passes. Whereas Liverpool is like, we're going to kick the ball down the field and we're going to chase it. And like you have to, they're, we're going to outrun you. And that's what they did for 60 minutes of this game. And it was like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, it was so entertaining. It, I mean, it was ridiculous to watch. Very impressive. But it was just, they were shell-shocked, I think, Roma. They did not expect that. Um, so that's pretty much where you know they lost that first game. It's just Liverpool's speed, and it's not to say that Roma doesn't have speed to match that. I just think that you know they were put in a tough situation because they were used to playing maybe Barcelona and the slower teams in Italy, where they could press them and be you know and afford to give them some space and then you know get them their way back on defense. Whereas Liverpool literally just like three or four passes and they were on the other end of the mm-hmm. field. So now the goal differential obviously is currently three. Right. Um, so results that would that would mean Roma moving on are three zero four one obviously moving forward. Um, that's a pretty high bar to meet. Yeah. Uh, I know they did it in the previous round, right. but is this something that's attainable? Like I said, it is. It, they they showed you know they scored two goals in the last. 10 minutes of that game. They also had opportunities in the first 15 minutes of the game where they really controlled the game for the first 15 minutes and they had opportunities there to score. So they showed that they can score against Liverpool. My concern as a Roma fan would be to stop Liverpool from scoring because like you said, you know, they need to win by 3. So 3 nothing would be a great would be a result that would get them through, but what are the chances of Liverpool scoring zero goals or one goal? Or, you know, if they score two, now Roma needs five, which, you know, would get out of hand. So my concern would be more about stopping Liverpool so from scoring. So the, the margin of error for Roma so is very, very slim uh, moving into the second leg. Um, let's, before we move forward to your prediction of the game, I know we want to talk about Mo Salah. I, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, or whenever we, one of these episodes, um... And it was more, you know, because I've been hearing the name more and more, 
um, if Mo Salah was in talks to being in the Messi Ronaldo class. Yeah. Um, it seems to actually be moving that way. It might have been dumb luck by me, which I hand up was probably it. But everything that I'm reading, people think he's in that class now. Well, this he's a good player. I mean, no, he's a great player. And he's been good uh, with Roma, with Fiorentina. He's been good. Um, you know, his one criticism, not criticism, but his one issue, I think, at Roma was people were saying, like, he could create chances, he could create open shots, but he couldn't really finish. He wasn't that great at finishing. He scored a bunch of goals, but nothing like he's doing this year. It seems like he figured out how to do that at Liverpool. My thing with putting him in the same class as Messi and Ronaldo is like, you know, let's wait a couple of years and see if he keeps repeating this because those guys have been doing it now yeah. for a ridiculous amount of time. I mean, I, I think, a, you know, an American sport comparison and, of course, you know, it's going to be a baseball one, but D.D. Uh, mm-hmm. Gregorius, obviously, the Yankee shortstop, is on a tremendous spurt at the beginning of the year right now. But a lot of baseball analysts are saying, when asked if he's a top 10 shortstop in baseball, well, he has to do it for an extended period of time. Right. You, can't, you can't just do it for... You can have a hot stretch yeah. of 25 games. In his defense, he had a great season last year, too, so D.D. So. Yeah. You know, he's moving in that direction. But the thing with, with, it's like LeBron. You know, LeBron is the best player in the NBA. But he doesn't win the MVP every year. Mm. And he hasn't won it in a few years because, you know, Curry had a great season. Harden. Harden, Durant. Russell Westbrook. Yeah, Westbrook. All these guys. So these guys are stepping up and having great seasons. But LeBron, over that period, is still widely considered the best basketball player. So right now, you have to say Ronaldo and Messi are still the best soccer players. But Salah is definitely the best this season. So th- so this season, you would say for, he's the most impactful to his team. Yeah, so the the big, the MVP, quote-unquote, trophy for a soccer player is the Ballon d'Or. It's like golden ball. Um, they give it out at the end of the year. And he has a, a significant chance of winning that, especially if Liverpool win the Champions League. If Liverpool win the Champions League, you'd have to think that he's the favorite for that award, um, when does this voting happen? Does it it's, like the? It's done uh, by all like football writers. No, but is it is it uh, like you it's know in the, in the NBA season. in the NBA it happens uh, before the playoffs yeah. begin? So the no, voting. it's done once the season's over, okay. and they even they'll take the World Cup into account. Oh wow! Okay, so there's still a lot of them. Like if you know if Messi wins the World Cup with Argentina, he he'll probably become the favorite to win it. Ronaldo, if he wins another Champions League, he'll probably become the favorite to win it. But if Salah wins it with Liverpool. And Messi or Ronaldo don't have uh, international success in the World Cup. You'd have to think he's going to be the favorite to so, win the award. Let me ask this question: My always, what I always say for an MVP is, if you remove them from the team, what are the results going to be? And if we were, we go back the first time that LeBron left Cleveland, well, the only time LeBron is yeah. le- has left so Cleveland far. so far, <laughs> um, the team won twenty games the next year. Um, and I, I try to apply that in all MVP discussions. If this team didn't have player X, how well would they perform? Who is the most valuable to their team? He is. I mean, and you could see that because... Over Messi. Oh, you mean... I thought you, obviously, I thought you meant to, to Liverpool. Sorry. Out, out of all of them? No, Messi is the most important. So if, so if I removed Lionel Messi from Barcelona... 
they would be the most affected. I think so, yeah, because they're a team that hasn't really done great in the Champions League now for three seasons in a row to begin with. They have some really talented players, but some of them are getting older, like Iniesta's about to leave. Um, you know, Suarez hasn't been really that great this year. So I think they rely on him the most. And But it's tough because if you take Salah off of Liverpool, they're not in the semifinals of the Champions mm-hmm. League. But they have a younger team, I think a more up-and-coming team. So um, I would still say it's, it's messy. And, you know, as great as Ronaldo is... At this point, he's, he's probably got a lot the of least help. valuable yeah. to, to his team. Um, but he's still very important. But if you put another great forward in his position, they probably score maybe not as many goals as him, but you know a good amount. Um, but for, for Liverpool, he's really important. I mean, in the game against Roma, he had two goals and two assists. So he was involved with four out of the five goals. So he's not just cr- finishing off the chances. He's helping creating them, too. Mm. So he's, he's, he's definitely like... Entering the category. So before we move on to uh, the next Champions League game, um, prediction for because uh, I know it'll it'll be next week yeah. Wednesday I believe. Um, is there a chance for Roma to come back a second time? There is. I think playing at home. It's a great crowd. It's a great stadium. It's a tough place to play. Um, you know they. They're all fired up for it. They know how big of an opportunity this is because Roma doesn't get to the semifinals of the Champions League every season. Like, it just doesn't happen. So they know the opportunity they have in front of them. You know, one of their players, your boy Florenzi, (laughs) he's like, he said, we're going to spit blood, basically, to try to get this done. You know, we're doing whatever it takes. So they have a shot. I think they'll win the game, but I think they're going to fall short on goal. Just a little bit too much of a yeah. too too high of a, of an of a plank to, yeah, to reach. I think they'll win, but I think they're going to end up giving up a goal or two, and it's going to it's yeah. going to end up affecting them. Um, but you know, hopefully, as a, a Serie A fan, hopefully they they could do it. But I got to tell you, it's it's been it was a great game. It was really entertaining. It was much better than the Bayern Munich Real Madrid game. So as long as we have an entertaining game, I'm, I guess that's all that matters, right? And you mentioned it: Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. Real Madrid comes away with the victory on the road. Um, so they're up two one in, in goal differential. Uh, two one. They're up yeah. one in goal differential, um, and they picked up those important two away goals. Um, I think we handicapped that Real Madrid was probably the most talented of the remaining four teams and was probably the clear-cut favorite to win. Um, going on the road, they put themselves in a great position uh, to move on to the final uh, again. Um, was this the outcome that you expected? I did expect them to win, or I expect them to win the, the over the two legs. I didn't think they would win in Germany. I thought maybe it would be a tie going back to, to Spain, but... It was a weird game. I mean, uh, Bayern Munich suffered two major injuries right off the bat to Robin and Boateng, so their best maybe attacking player and their best defender. Um, and they had to be so they had to use two early substitutions to, to take those guys out, which and I think it kind of just threw off the whole game plan because they really rely on Robin up front to create for them. Um, so I think they had to change tactics a little bit when that happened, and that hurt. But, um, you know, as far as the game itself, it was very, it was a weird game, very boring. It was like a, 
it reminded me of like a Juventus performance from Real Madrid where they didn't play really great. They didn't play their best, but it was like professional. You know, they, they basically were just waiting for Bayern to make a mistake to score the goals. And they were able to do that. And even though Bayern really threatened and controlled a lot of possession and kept trying to score, you never felt like they were actually going well, to accomplish you it. You know, it kind of brings up a point that I've been thinking about for a little bit. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I do like the, the two-leg system. Uh, because it gives you multiple opportunities and it gives you both teams get a home game. Um, but what I think happens is in the first leg, um, it's kind of like early on in a boxing fight. Uh, no big punches are really thrown. No one wants to risk going down that early. Yeah. So the first game, the first Especially leg. Especially the home team. Yeah. It, you kind of are feeling each other out. Um, and you're not really playing the best game you could possibly play uh, because you don't want to risk going too far down. And I think that that makes for the first game to be a much more boring product. Yeah, and look, if you think about it, if you're the home team and you get out of that game 0-0, you have a great opportunity because in the second game, you just need a score draw. You know, if you tie Mm -hmm. them 1-1, 2-2, you go through. So now there are two results that are in your favor, just a tie and a win so it's definitely more conservative um some teams do like to just go go for it especially when they're at home like look what you know barcelona did to roma and liverpool did to roma and manchester city but most teams definitely i guess when you're playing a real madrid like juventus and bayern did um you know they probably are a little weary of what Real Madrid could do, so they those teams are probably like, let's try to keep this as low scoring as possible at home, and then hope for the best uh, on the road in the second game. Any possibility of ever having a uh, best of three? I don't. How would the uh, the, the home ha- field advantage work, work out? out? Yeah, that's the problem. Oh well. It's an interesting thought. Yeah, it's Maybe. a great setup that they have. I have to say, I have no complaints with the Champions League. It's very. I think it's but you don't find that the fir- you don't find that the first game is usually a little a little bit more boring. There, yeah, I mean for sure. I mean there's just so much more action in the second game because that's really the one that's determining. So how can you duplicate having that second action in both games? Yeah, so one thing that bothers me about it, I don't know if it would fix it, but one thing that bothers me about it is that when you get to overtime of the second game, why do away goals still count? Because that's not fair. Because if you think about it, if you know, if you finish the first game 0-0, and now you finish the second game 0-0, so whoever gets the second team now you go to overtime, yeah. right? And now the away team has an advantage because in overtime, the away team, extra time they call it in soccer, the away team only would have to score one goal, and now the home team has to score two goals in extra time. I personally think that if they're going to change anything, once they get to extra time, that's it. Nothing in extra time is considered an away goal anymore. It just at, goes straight to to goals. Well, I mean, at that point, it should be should be back to zero zero. Because that's what I think. <laughs> you know, now if, if you know, you just go based off of the extra time score, and if I think we got wins, into this, you weren't a fan of golden goal, right? I don't like golden goal. No, I just think it's it hurts. You know, I mean, how I'll you, tell you this: it, playoff hockey, it's. Very, very entertaining. No, the golden goal is very, very entertaining. It is entertaining. But like in, in playoff hockey, it's a best of seven. So if you're doing a golden goal, it's pretty much, it's for any of the seven games. Mm-hmm. So you're not losing the series 
you know, over that. Whereas in soccer, if you're in the World Cup and you're in the knockout stage, you're in the Champions League and you're in the extra time, you're losing the series off of, off of one goal. So it, it's a little tougher to swallow. Interesting, interesting. All right, uh, let's move on to the uh, Sierra, Sierra title race. Um, great one. Which has really heated up. Um, and I got to take you to task here because we had... I don't want to say we. You had Napoli dead to rights. You said this. Well, they were my pick in the beginning. Oh, of the season. you can't. You can't keep going back to this. I you, mean, they were. They were my pick. It's not. Listen, they're still. They're still behind. You, but you wrote. You pretty much wrote them off. You know, when we first started the podcast, they were. They were in pretty good position. They. I, I believe they still were in the lead. Probably. Um, and you pretty much just kind of harked back to. Juventus has been here before. You've seen the movie before. You've seen the ending before. You know how it's going to end. Um, yeah, once Juventus got to six points ahead, I mean, I don't think I'm the only person that thought... Because think about it. They, they got to six points ahead, and they got eliminated from the Champions League within a, a week. Who would have thought that they would go through this stretch where they would let Napoli back in the, in the fold? Now, who's... Is this more of Napoli playing better soccer, or is this Juventus leaving the window open for no, Napoli I to sneak back in? They definitely look. Napoli but did what they had let's, to. Re- do. Let's let's move. Let's not. Yeah. You know. Let's have this conversation first without the Napoli victory over Juventus, because obviously they earned that. Right. But to even be in that position in the first place, Juventus didn't handle all of their business. No, and that's the thing. They so over the course of the season, Juventus is having a great season. So they they are. I mean, that's the one thing that bothers me about the fans and they're yelling at the coach and the players. And listen, Juventus has eighty five points with four games left. Last year they won the whole thing with ninety one points. They could potentially get to 95 points and, and still lose, lose this yeah. thing. So that's a credit to Napoli because they've so, they've risen to Juventus's level. So write that down, season. Juventus fans. Stop being babies. Yeah, stop complaining. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Juventus is 20 points less than they were last year. They're, they're on pace to do better than they did last year. So, you know, you can't really blame the players or the coach or, or, or anybody, the general manager, for that because you have to give credit to the team that's risen to the occasion, and that's Napoli. Now, Napoli, they played, they, you know, a couple of weeks ago or last week, I, they were all like... Bunched well, together now. Together, but they played <laughs> Chievo, and Chievo was winning 1-0, and Napoli scored two goals in like the last 10 minutes to, to win the game. So, you know, they, they were struggling, and they won, went ahead, and they won that game. Then in the midweek before they played Juventus, they played Udinese, and they also were losing that game, and they came back and won 4-2. So they're, you know, and then against Juventus, obviously, they scored right at the end to to win. So they're being clutch right now. They're playing clutch soccer. They're doing what they have to do. So they are earning it. This is not a collapse situation. I don't know. This is a, a uh, this is Napoli going out and taking the championship from them. Yeah, I mean, they still have Juventus still has the lead. They're up one point with four games left. They win all four, there's no discussion. Yeah. They're the champions. They have a tough four games, you know, this weekend on Saturday. A tougher four games yeah, than Napoli. 
They do, yeah. But, you know, the pressure's going to be on Napoli, too. I mean, they, they were celebrating like they won the Scudetto so, when they beat Juventus. So. Yeah, so before we get into that game... Oh, well, let's actually get into that game right now. So... We were t- we were texting during the during the game, and you were saying it's a typical Juventus performance, uh, as it was zero yeah. zero. Um, but they were kind of a little snake bitten because uh, they they wanted they were playing for a tie. Uh, they weren't playing for a victory, um, and that kind of you know came came to, to bite them in the rear end at the end of it. Exactly. The, here's my problem with Juventus. Juventus has great attacking players. They got Dybala. They have Douglas Costa. They have Iguain. They have Bernardeschi on the bench. They have Mandzukic. They have a bunch of great attacking players. You have the opportunity here to kill this team off. If it's seven points, guess what? It's over. Seven points with four games left, it's over. Juventus is winning. Why not go for it? You're at home where you never lose pretty much. Why not go for it? It just makes it made no sense for them to sit back, and they've been doing it all season. It's just a very weird tactic, you know. In the summer, they purchased so is it because they rely so much on de- on their defense that well, here's you know, the thing. Over, in years past, I yes. know their their staple has always been defense, exactly. defense, defense. But this year, they sold Benucci. They didn't really replace him with a with a like type, you know, like player. They didn't get someone as good as him defensively. You know, you want to talk about whether he's really that good or it was just a system, and that's a whole other discussion. But the, they had someone who was great for them. They sold him. They spent the money on attacking players. So coming, in, coming into the season, you're thinking, you know, Juventus have been watching the Champions League for these years, and they see that the attacking teams are the ones that usually win because they lost in the finals twice. Atletico Madrid, who is also very defensive but still talented, also lost in the final two times. So maybe they're thinking we need to be more attacking. And that's what I thought coming into the season. I thought that they would be more attacking. But they are not. I mean, you have an opportunity, like I said, at home in front of your own crowd to win, basically win the Scudetto and you're trying to hold on for a draw. And you know what? Usually Juventus is the one that's scoring at the end to, to try you know, to win the game, but it happened to them. Now, since we're on the topic, let me ask a bigger picture question. Um, and I'll compare it to, to the way that the NBA has been going. Ten years ago, the NBA wasn't playing basketball like this. No. Uh, teams were not taking as many three-pointers. The Warriors, uh, actually, you can go back to, to Mike D'Antoni and his seven seconds or less sons that kind of reinvented the way that the game was being played. Um, is that the case here, where Juventus is kind of holding on to... Uh, a style of soccer that is not going to translate in the in the, the upcoming years. I think Juventus is it, it's harsh because they do play some attacking games and they have great attacking players. I think Juventus basically just plays for a result. That's what they do. Like they're very professional, you know, mechanical. It's we need a point here. Why risk going and trying to win when if they win, they're right back in, in, in the race. So let's go out. Let's get a, a tie. With a tie, we're four points up with four games left. We should be able to hold on. Let's do that. And, you know, you, you look at the game in Naples that we watched back in uh, December or whenever it was. I forgot. Uh, but the first half of the season. Yeah. In that game, they were the ones that were going to risk 
going down by seven points. So they went out and they went and they tried to win the game because they needed to. Mm. So it's just Juventus, I don't think, really has a, a particular style that they play every game. They don't have a real identity this year. I think they just try to get whatever result they can. I just find it odd. If they're the most talented team, if they have the best coach, why not just go out there every week, give your and they have the deepest bench, give your best effort, and you'll win. Yeah, At the end of the day, you should. you should win. But when you, like you're saying, play for these results, this game we could tie, this game, you open yourself up to, to really be hurt by shortcomings in, in a lot of these games. Yeah, no, you do. And that's what happened in this game. I think they, you know, they, I think they played to their opponents, you know, rather than like a Barcelona, you're going to get the same thing from Barcelona every game. This is how we play, you know, whether we're playing Real Madrid or, you know, whether we're playing, you know, Benevento, like obviously they would never play Benevento, but Malaga in the Spanish league is the last place team. So whether we're playing the first or the last, we're playing the same way. And I don't think Juventus plays that way. You know, I think Juventus, if we're playing Benevento, we're going to do this. If mm-hmm. we're playing Real Madrid, we're going to do this. And the great teams, and you know, like in basketball, yeah. in, in, in basketball and football, whatever, the great teams play their style because they say we can beat anybody with our style. So Juventus probably should move towards that. Well, I mean, this comes back to... Obviously, my favorite coach, John Calipari, who, you know, he recruits players that are amazingly talented. And all the time, you know, they do the, the halftime, pre- uh, co- uh, you know, interviews with the sideline reporters. He always says that he tells his team, if you play the game that you can play, no one can compete with us. We're the most talented team. Exactly. All you have to do is play your game. And I feel like it's the same situation uh, with Juventus. It should be. You know, and, and another thing, you know, not to drag on about this, but they have Dybala, who is their best player and one of the best players, one of the most talented players in the world. You know, they subbed them off at halftime, you know, to change tactics. And it's just, could you ever imagine Messi or Ronaldo coming out of a game at halftime? Like, no, they're the best players on the team. They're going to play well, unless, there the was, unless there was foul trouble or something, or an injury or something along those lines. You know, and I love, I like the coach of Juventus, Allegri, because he used to be uh, the Milan coach. And I think he's a very good coach. But for me, he hasn't gotten the best out of Dybala this season. And, you know, he's your prime possession. You got to get the best out of them. You know that's really well, going to take it to the next it level. It seems like they're underutilizing a lot of talent. You're saying yeah. that they have great attacking players in Iguain, um, Dabala, like you, like you were just mentioning, um, but they're not really using them to their full potential. Right now, if it, if there's a change of, of guard as the head coach, I still don't think that they're going to adopt philosophy. No, they're going to change philosophy. It's a tradition. You know that's that historically that's what they do. But like you said. They're not utilizing their attacking potential. And to me, that's bad management, you know, from from up above. Because your defense took a hit when Bonucci left and Danny Alves left. You lost two very reliable defenders that you had on the team last year that played a big part in the season. Your midfield is not that strong because you haven't really reinvested too much into the midfield. You put all your eggs in the attacking basket. So now you should be playing attacking. Attacking, You know, if you weren't going to do that, 
and you weren't going to play attacking, then you should have used some of the money to buy midfielders and defenders if that's what you wanted to do. You know, to me, that's where you know the breakdown is for for Juventus. So we talked a lot about Juventus uh, and you know their struggles and what they need to work on, uh, but Napoli on the other side is coming on guns coming out guns blazing yeah. now. Uh, or rather finishing uh, very strong. Um, was there anything that you saw in their matchup uh, that makes you feel that this is going to be the year? They, you know, look, you have to give their coach credit because on the other side of this, um, Milik, their striker, has been playing really well lately and your, your boy Dries Mertens hasn't been that great lately, maybe because he's tired or whatever. But going into this game, there was a lot of calls for Sari to um, play Milik in a 4-2-3-1, take one of the midfielders out maybe and play Milik instead. And he said no. You know, he played his 4-3-3. I'm using the starting 11 that I've used all season. Like, this is my team. I'm going to go down with that. If we, if we go down, this is how we're going to go down. And they played their style, they played their whole game like that, and, and they kept knocking on the door, knocking on the door, and you know, eventually they got they got through with the with the corner kick. So And a and a goal by Kubali, who I will give you credit, you have mentioned before if there was gonna be an MVP, it would have been Kubali so Kubali, far this season yeah. uh, in Syria. Uh so you know, he continues to have a tremendous, tremendous year. You said he's the best defender. Yeah, he is. In Syria, so he's he's strong, fast. You know, he's tactically very. And good. now this is a this is a league that has possibly the best defenders in the world. Yeah, they have some of them. Yeah, but he's still he's at the top of the list. Just whole package. You know, he he really is. You know, you could see um, if Roma had him. You know, when they played Liverpool. You know, he might be able to chase down a Salah because he's very fast, you know, and he knows that he's, his positioning is very well. So that makes a huge difference because you could take more risks up the field when you know you have a defender of his caliber in the back that's able to run down very fast attacking players. So he's, you know, he deserved to score that goal too because, yeah, he's been one of their most important players. So this weekend... Uh Inter, both both Juventus and Napoli are on the road. Yeah. Uh, Juventus against Inter and Napoli against Fiorentina. Um, what what is a what is an ex- give me give me three answers here. What is the expected outcome? What is the obviously the best outcome for for Napoli? And what's the best outcome for Juventus? So I think I think Juventus Inter is going to be. I would say a tie because they both have a lot to play for. Juventus has to win, obviously, because they have Napoli breathing down their necks. Inter has to win or at least get a point from Juventus because they're in that race for a top four spot. So I think if Napoli comes out of this weekend, and Napoli has a little bit of an advantage because they're playing on Sunday and Juventus is playing Inter on Saturday. So Napoli will know going into the game on Sunday if they can take over what they need to do so there's going to be a lot either way there's going to be a lot of fire from them because either they're going to have the opportunity to go ahead or they're going to need to win to keep up so they're going to you know they have an advantage in that way Um, but I I personally think whoever comes out of this weekend ahead is going to to win it 
Juventus still has a tough matchup against Roma in two weeks um, on the road, who is another team that obviously made it to the semifinals in the Champions League. They have to win two in Serie A because they're fighting for a top four spot. So they're really rooting for Roma to win and move on. Yeah, in a way, because they would like for Roma to be preoccupied, obviously, going into that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so Juventus has a tough schedule. But they're Juventus, you know, they're more than capable of going out and winning these types of games. I mean, both teams have to look at it like we have four finals ahead of us and we have to try to win all four. Um, The funny thing is that in the last games, Napoli is at home to Crotone and Juventus is at home to Verona, two teams that are in the relegation battle. So whoever goes into the last round is probably going to be the champions. Whoever goes into the last round. As of today, your expert opinion, who's in the driver's seat? Juventus is still in the driver's seat. They just have the... Even with the easier, even with Napoli having an easier schedule. I think if Juventus wins against Inter, it's going to be such a statement because most people are probably expecting Juventus to tie Inter. So I think if they win, they're saying, this is a bit, we're Juventus, we're still Juventus. You know, we just beat Inter. Now's your turn tomorrow. Keep up with us. Now, vice versa. Let's you know. Let's talk about Napoli for a quick minute here. Yeah. This is a tremendous season so far. Obviously, yeah. nothing to hang their heads, you know, heads behind. Uh, but if they don't win, they're going to come away with this season. They didn't win a, a Champions or Euro, yeah. Europa title. They didn't accomplish their goal of Serie A. They scored a lot of points, and next year they'll be in the Champions League, but there's really nothing to show for it. It's, it's true. You know, the fans were so happy with this win against Juventus um, to the point where they were celebrating in the streets after the game, waiting for the team to get back from Turin. And I don't know if they're happy because they feel like mission accomplished. You know, like, we... we Beat them away. So that would be that would be like getting to the one yard line. Yeah, not, exactly. Not that's that's how zone. that's how I view it. Um, but I think it's a little bit of you know what this team, like we said before, this is not really Juventus giving them an opportunity. You know, Juventus hasn't had a great season in terms of style and play, and maybe the way they play and whatever they drop some points that maybe they shouldn't have. But at the end of the day, like I said before. They could get potentially 95 points and lose this. So it's the same token for Napoli where, you know, if this team gets 95 points and loses or 96 points and loses by one point, how, you know, it's a successful season. I mean, that's a ridiculous amount of points. I was going to say, if Napoli does not win this, that's going to be devastating. It is devastating because it's going to be so hard for them to do again. Exactly. It's so hard to, at this level. And you know that I think this is good. I mean, obviously, it's great for Serie A because of all the traction it's going to get now in the next four weeks. It's already a win for the league. But Juventus in the summer is going to rebuild, you know, because of this. This may be their window to be, win it. You know, when was the last time they the last time they won was 91 or 90, yeah. So they only have, they have, they have two, yeah. they have. One or two. They have two. They won two with Maradona, Maradona 87 yeah. and 90. So, obviously, this is not something that happens every year. Um, no, it doesn't. That. And this team stayed together in the summer to try to accomplish this goal, so they might lose some of these players. 
You never know. And like I said, Juventus, they probably were like, okay, you know, we we gambled a little bit this year. And if they win, they're going to say, you know, we were lucky to win. If they lose, then they're going to be embarrassed. So either way, I think they're going to really, you know, reinvest. I don't, but I don't buy that embarrassment. And it could be because I don't understand. Not that I don't understand, but they are embarrassed. I'm not familiar with the the cultural background of it or the uh, or the the history of the league. But you can't expect to win every single year. You can't and. I agree with you. It's not a bad. And this is not a this is not a poor performance. No, it's if not. This te- if Napoli has ninety five points and they win, that's not embarrassing. No, it's not, and I agree with that, and that's why I think the fans are overreacting a little bit because I think they're playing well in terms of results, and they're right there. And you know, if Napoli beats them, it's because Napoli had a ridiculous season. But I think it, it's an embarrassment in terms of if they ever lost the Scudetto. It, they probably would only trade it in for a Champions League trophy. You know, I think that's one. So they thing. failed on multiple right. levels. You know, they, they 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 were out at the quarterfinals of the Champions League. If they lose the Scudetto, then they they didn't win any of the two major competitions. And then, God forbid, they lost to Milan in the Coppa Italia final. You know. It'll be a really embarrassing season for them to not win anything. I just want everyone at home to realize the smile on yeah, Claudio's face. Not right Milan now. lost to Benevento. <laughs> Benevento has 17 points this season. 17. Yes, but... Four of them are from Milan. But, Four out of 17. But I will tell you this. So, Again, I'm no expert, but... Don't even get me started. But when rivals have an opportunity in down years... To stick a thorn in the side of their their rival, that's almost as good as a. It's not. A, it's not a champ. It's not a championship, but it's almost as good as that. Yeah, no. I mean, who knows? But with that team, you don't know because they started out terrible in the middle of the season. This is clearly a topic that's upsetting you. You don't even want to talk about this. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. I'm, it's next week, May 9th, this is all, or two weeks, so it's uh, it's coming soon, the Coppa Italia final, and at that point, Juventus will know if they are still in the lead for the Scudetto or if they're behind. So, look, so. those that, that aren't as pessimistic as uh, Claudio, um, could be an opportunity to, to really stick a thorn in the side of Juventus, so. Yeah, or yeah, it be so an opportunity for Juventus to be very angry and beat Milan like 8 nothing. <laughs> All right, Idiot Expert, Episode 9. Uh, I'm Calcio Joe. I'm here, of course, with my uh, co-host, uh, Claudio Perfetto. You listened to about 40 minutes of yeah. some soccer talk. Uh, so we want to mix in some, some discussion, and we like to call crossover discussion, uh, comparing the soccer world with the American sports of baseball and American football and basketball, which is obviously more of a global game now, but... But anyway, uh, the thought that I've been having uh, over this past week, and it, it comes on the heels of the NFL draft being in a few hours, um, and the by the time people listen to this, the NFL draft, the first round will be over. Um, and in addition to that, there's been some call-ups in baseball of can't-miss prospects, a Ronald Acuna of uh, the Braves, a Gliber Torres of the Yankees, um, had me starting to think, about can't-miss prospects, if they exist in the soccer world, 
Obviously, they're not drafted. Right. What is the hype surrounding them? What is the pressure like for them? Um, how many of them pan out? What are the busts? So that's what I bring to the table for our expert. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to to a baseball or a basketball. There are going to be some like LeBron, like uh, you know Torres, even though we don't know what he's going to turn out to be. You know, we're assuming that he's going to be great, but there are some like them, and then there are some that, that fail. I mean, you know, Ronaldo was a highly touted prospect at one point, so was Messi. It's weird in soccer because they're, they're owned by other people. Like, you know, a lot of the can't-miss Brazilians are in Brazil, so you never really know until you sign them for your European team what they're going to turn out to be, but... You know, like Neymar was a, a can't miss prospect, but then you know there's the ones like Freddie Adu who. Well, you you just said a bunch of names that all panned out. Yeah, but but there are ones like Freddie Adu, Giuseppe Rossi could be in, you know, but that's due to injury. But that happens. You know, there's there's a bunch also that don't pan. You out. have one off the top of your head that was supposed to be the second coming, was supposed to deliver a, a Premier League title or a, a Serie A championship or um, a La Liga championship and just never, never panned out. Well, I mean, the, the main one, the main bust that comes to my mind, it's, it's ironic because he's American, it's Freddie Adu. I mean, this, I don't know how much you know about him. I'm familiar with this story. Okay, so he was, what was he, like 14, 14 or something? Years old, yeah. Right? At that For time, they were saying Inter Milan was going to sign him, wanted, I think they wanted to sign him, and he decided that he wanted to stay in the MLS, get signed by DC United, and terrible. You know, he, and, and, and it's gotten so bad where he's like, he's probably like 30, you know, yeah, he's, exactly. he's not that old, you know, yeah. he's still playing, but like, he can't even play in like, City of big, you know, in Italy, like that's how bad his career has gone, it's just, it's, or he can't even play in the MLS well, anymore. because of, so, in American sports, the minor league systems, let's just say for the developmental league in the NBA and the minor league system in baseball, um, they don't get a lot of attention. Right. So people don't really see it as much. The Serie B's and the, uh, the, the secondary leagues, how much attention do they get in these European countries? They get, a, I mean, in their respective countries, they get a lot. Like a, a lot of... I would think that in Italy, a lot of fans of the sport, I mean, it's, it's like us, you know, with baseball. We're big Yankee fans, so we know what's going on in the Yankee minor leagues. Mm. The casual fan isn't going to know. Like, you know, the casual fan... But is that a good indicator of how they're going to perform on the next level? Oh. See, the yeah. minor, I think, you know, the minor leagues, exactly. Aaron Judge was hitting 200. Yeah, no. It, and then he came up and hit... 52 or however many, many home runs it was last year. Yeah, I mean, well, so the thing is with prospects, like take Juventus for example, they won't send their highly touted prospects to a Serie B team. They'll send them to another A division team, but one that's probably like battling relegation. Like they send a lot of people to Atalanta, who's a mid-table team. So... That's more so it's it's hard to see like one Serie B player that comes to mind is this guy uh, Lapadula, he played for Pescara and Serie B and he scored a ridiculous amount of goals it was like twenty or whatever, and then Milan signed them last year and you know he didn't do that great at Milan he played the fans love him because he. 
played with such like heart and passion, but he didn't score that many goals, and they ended up selling him this season. So he only lasted one year. Mm-hmm. So it's not a good indication of what a player is going to do in, in Serie A, you know, how they perform in the second division. Hmm. So that makes for interesting conversation, and obviously uh, the basketball world is a little bit different because they have college basketball and yeah. uh, the LeBron Jameses of the world. Um, so we talked about the busts. What about those that pan out? You mentioned Ronaldo, Messi. Did you know when they were coming up, or did the soccer community know when they were coming up, these are going to be game changers? These, this might be revered as the best player of all time. Because yeah. I remember distinctly when LeBron James was coming, he had a, he had a Nike commercial before he had played one minute of basketball. And I remember after the first year, no one had ever delivered on hype like LeBron had delivered on his hype. He was every bit of what scouts, writers, uh, radio hosts, people talked about. He was every bit as good. Uh, for the Ronaldos and the Messis of the world, um, and Wayne Rooney, I remember, was a, was a rather large prospect as well. Did they live up to that hype that was made out for them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at, uh, you know, Ronaldo started getting famous in Portugal with Sporting Lisbon. And Manchester United signed them. And, you know, right off the bat, they knew what kind of player he was going to be. Same thing with Messi. Messi came into a Barcelona team that had Ronaldinho at his peak on it. And, and Iniesta and Xavi, like, great, great players and he fit right in and was playing, you know. So they they definitely you could tell right off the bat. Wayne, Rooney's another one. You know, Rooney had a great. Uh, I think it was Euro two thousand four. That was his real his first year, um, and he was playing for Everton before that. He had a breakout competition at uh, Euro two thousand four, and Manchester United signed him right after that, and he did great right off the bat. You kind of know. I mean, it, it's probably like basketball. I mean, if if a player doesn't get off to a good start in basketball, you know generally that the, the career trajectory doesn't change. See, I think it's the, the way that I'm interpreting it is that soccer and basketball are very similar in the sense that if it's a can't-miss prospect, most likely it's going to be a can't-miss prospect. Yeah. I mean, you, you know who's going to be good and what really derails you, Greg Oden's of the world, is injuries. Yeah. Injuries will derail your career. Whereas in baseball and football, for that matter, Ryan Leafs of the world, uh, you know, there have been Hideki Arabu in baseball. There, these are people that were touted prospects and literally were terrible. Were yeah. absolutely terrible. Um, I remember Daisuke Matsuzaka from the Red Sox. I uh, with the with the famous gyro ball, he was atrocious, yeah, atrocious. Bad. So I think that's not as likely in the soccer who and the, basketball. Who did the uh, the Mets sign? Japanese guy. Uh, I I know who you're talking Second about. Second baseman. Right? Uh, Kaz Kaz uh, Matsui. Matsu- yeah, Matsu- Matsu- yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that guy was terrible. He was terrible. 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 I don't know. I think he lasted maybe three or four years. Yeah. But uh, but like look at Otani. He looked terrible in spring training. Yeah, and then he got off to a great start, pitching yeah. and hitting. So. I think it's it's a lot harder pre- to predict if a player is going to be 
good in, in uh, Major League Baseball and the NFL. In the NFL, I have literally no idea. Yeah. I, you cannot take uh, performance in college into account, into account no. because Carson Wentz went to a D2 school or D1 AA, whatever the heck it is, yeah. um, and he's one was one of the best quarterbacks in football last year. Yeah, yeah, no. uh, well, I think soccer is very relatable to uh, baseball with like the Japanese players, the Cuban players, because these are guys that killed it in Japan, but now they're coming to the MLB, and it's like can you do it in the MLB? Yeah. Whereas like in you know in Italy, maybe they're buying someone who was playing in Holland. Can he come and do it in Italy? You know what I mean. Or if, some, if the Premier League is buying someone from Italy, can they do it in the Premier League, even though they were great in Italy? Well, I think so. di- I think different skills apply. Um, and that you saying that had me think. Um, Ricky Rubio, who's having a fairly good run yeah. with the Utah Jazz, um, he came into this league from Spain, uh, and he was play he was playing against adults at. I think like 15 or 16 in Spain. Yeah. In Spain. Yep. Um, and, you know, he was supposed to be the second coming of, uh, of John Stockton, unbelievable passer, um, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think certain skills kind of translate in different leagues. It's exactly like so, so passing is a skill in basketball that no matter where you're playing, it'll always, it'll always translate. Whereas scoring... It's a lot more difficult when yeah. the defenders are that much better. Right. I completely agree. And I think it's also the the style of play, you know yeah. what I mean? Because, like, you know, if the team is relying on you to score a ton of points and you're not a great scorer, you're going to have an even harder time. Whereas if you go to a situation like now he's playing with uh, Donovan Mitchell. So that guy is obviously taking a lot of attention on from the defense, so it's leaving him open to, to score more. Yeah. That's why he's having a better scoring season than he was with the uh, the Timberwolves. So it is definitely relevant, especially in soccer, because the leagues are so different. You know, Italy is very tactical, slower. England's very open, fast. Spain, you know, is a little bit of both. So it definitely depends on the type of player you are and the league you're playing in. All right, so we're, we're talking about prospects and I think it's a good time now to uh, to shift gears to the NFL draft and um, I mentioned to you before that I absolutely have no idea what's going to happen in about an hour yeah. or so and I wanted to do the podcast before the draft because we would have been really depressed after the draft <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reason being we're, we're both pretty uh, pretty big Jet fans yep. um, and I think we both bought into the idea of no matter who they pick it's going to be terrible <laughs> um, I texted someone before. I was like, "There's four quarterbacks. The one they get is going to be terrible. terrible. The other three studs." Yeah, That's uh, how it's I mean, go. and it, it has. It doesn't matter who they pick. I actually feel bad for whoever they pick because it's like a death knell. Yeah. Um, it's it's. I'll it's tell you. Bad. I'll tell you what will make it worse if the Giants pick a quarterback. And I know a lot of people don't think they're going to, but if they did, it would make it infinitely worse because they're always be The Giants are going to get the guy that is the stud franchise quarterback, and the Jets are going to get the terrible guy. And I can't. I honestly can't even tell you who I want them to pick. Me either. And I think that, that we've had this discussion. Yeah, we've had this discussion before. Yeah, uh, but the different 
ways this has gone down in the past, you know, 72 hours, I thought Darnold was the number one prospect. Yep. Now apparently it's Mayfield. Mayfield is going to go number one. Josh Allen, who was so high. Josh Allen was a month yeah. ago. Now like is the fourth out of Josh four. Josh Rosen in the past 24 hours has made an incredible push. Here's my thing. You know why I like Rosen? He hasn't moved. Everyone kind of picks him third the whole time. You know, Allen, Mayfield, Darnold, they've like shuffled around a little bit. Rosen's always been number three if you if you look at like the trajectory or whatever. So that that says something, you know, he's consistent for whatever reason. To be consistently bad. Yeah, well that's probably <laughs> what it is. Uh, but but I've never, you know I've never seen a draft like this. And no. there's so many different uh it, it's gonna it's going to determine uh really the state of multiple franchises yeah. over the next 10 years. I think this is a huge draft for the Browns. Obviously, they have two picks in the, the top four picks. You know, two, yeah. two selections in the top four picks. Um, By the way, the most Browns thing ever, and I could totally picture them doing this, is drafting Barkley one because they want Barkley. Barkley. And he's not going to be there at four because the Giants are probably going to draft him. I could see them drafting Barkley one and that way they don't even have to make a decision on a quarterback. Whoever's left at four, they just take. Whereas right now, they're picking one out of four. The chances of them getting it right, not that great. <laughs> so, And I, I have family in Cleveland, so I feel bad for them. Yeah, so that, I, I just don't think it's going to so work So it's obviously a, a huge draft for the Browns. The Giants have so many needs. Yeah, and the, uh, Gi- the Giants, just, what are you doing? If you don't take a quarterback with that pick, what are you doing? Trade down and build a team around Eli Manning if you're not going to draft the quarterback. I mean, he's 37 years old. Exactly. He's not going to play forever. I, I hate and to tell this, you that. And this, this whole notion that Davis Webb is going to be – watch this guy – watch this clip get – I just want everyone to, to <laughs> remember that Geno Smith played over Davis Webb yeah. last year. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Um, so this notion that Davis Webb – is go, is he's gonna be the next quarterback for the Giants, yeah. so they can they can take Barkley and whatnot. Again, Barkley is a I don't want to say franchise changing. He's prospect, a can't he's, miss guy. He's That's a, what everyone's saying. Can't miss prospect. You know what you're gonna get. Yeah. Um, so you know, but so it's big do you that. need a running? Do you need that good of a running back when you have so many other holes on the team and a and a running back? Is not a franchise player. You know, where if your team sucks, the running back is not going to you know, make was, you a Super Bowl contender. I was listening, and that's I was listening to, to Bart Scott. Bart Scott. And, Bart. You know, doesn't know it. I don't think he really knows much about baseball, but in football, obviously, he knows. Chris Russo definitely <laughs> doesn't think he knows much uh, about baseball. But you know, he made a great point, which was uh, him and Maggie Gray kind of uh, double team this point. LaShawn McCoy. As great of a running back that he's been, he's only won one playoff game his entire career. Yeah. Uh, so he's an all-world running back. Yep. What does that mean for your franchise? It means you yeah. could potentially win one and playoff game. And people who are pointing to the Steelers and Le'Veon Bell, yeah, he plays with Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio, Antonio Brown. Brown. Yeah. He's not the whole team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you have to worry about Antonio Brown catching the ball 
50 yards down the field, you're not going to stack the box to stop Le'Veon Bell. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm digging to the camp of that running backs. Um, their shelf life isn't long. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't waste high-end picks on them. Um, if they suck this year and they have Barkley on the team, by the time they rebuild and are good in he, five, he be, seven years, yeah. he's not going to be great anymore. That's going to be, you know, and what are you going to do at that point? Are you going to give him a huge contract? And the, the example of Leonard Fournette doesn't really apply because Fournette came on a team that was on the up and up. Yeah. The Giants need a real big rebuild. Yep. Um, no, they need a lot, a lot they, of help. Yeah. They do. So they're not on the doorstep. Um, and then obviously, you know, the Jets, this is a gigantic pick for them. And I think um, their general manager, this is this, this is, is his career. Job. This is it. Yeah. Oh, Mike McCagnon. Well, um, I like I like Mike McCagnon. Yeah, uh, but this is the decision because um, he swung and missed on Christian Hackenberg. Yeah. Um, he needs to deliver now, or else you know this is. And and Bryce Petty. And Bryce Petty. He as well. he, he drafted Petty too, right? Or was that Idzik? I think that was Idzik, oh. um, who was pretty terrible <laughs> at life. At life. <laughs> Sorry, um, but. But you know, uh, this is this is McCagnon's job right yeah. here, um, and if it doesn't pan out, then it's it's goodbye, good night in the yeah, lights. No, right? He needs this. He needs to hit. And I'll tell you what, they have the advantage of having Terry Bridgewater and Josh McCown because this guy doesn't need to play right, right away. away yeah. But if this team is one in six or one in, two and six going into the last eight games of the year. And this guy, whoever they draft, doesn't play. You know he's a bust already. I'm sorry, you, you know, because that's what happened with Hackenberg. They keep saying, "Oh, we believe in Hackenberg. We, you know, yeah. he's they he's developing." Yeah. Why aren't you playing the guy? You, you know, he must be terrible. You played Bryce Petty, Josh McCown, Geno Smith. You played all these guys over him. Yeah. Like, yeah. he deserve. He can't play a game just to see. It must be so bad. So you tell me, um, who do you think is going one? I think Mayfield. Mayfield is going to go one. Um, do you think the Giants are going to trade down? I think if they really are set on Barkley, they're going to stay with two and draft him uh, because they know that the Browns. Who are they going to trade down with? They can't trade down with the Jets, obviously. Yeah. You know they can't. I mean, maybe they can, but why would the Jets do that at this point? They can't. The Browns are not going to give them the fourth pick. So they'll probably go who's five, the Broncos. They might trade down to the Broncos, and then the Browns will take Barkley at four. But I think if they want Chubb, the defensive end, um, they might trade down to five to get him because he'll probably still be there. And the Jets, you're thinking Josh Rosen. Yeah, I mean, apparently that's what's coming out today. that They're like set. I'm just going to go on the record right now. If they pass on Sam Darnold. They have the chance to get him. And they have the opportunity to get him. Everything that I've read, he was never going to be available for them. He was going to be gone in the first two picks. He's so good. Um, he's gonna if they pass on him, he's gonna have a whole. I hate game. to tell you. I hate to tell you that they're probably not drafted him because Todd Bowles smiles when he talks about Baker Mayfield. That's the only time in the, in his life that the guy actually smiles when he's talking about Baker Mayfield. So I think he's probably their first choice. And apparently they, there's stories coming out that they like Rosen over Darnold. So I, I don't see, unless Mayfield goes one and the Giants take Rosen for some reason, I can't see that happening either. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think they they're ending up with Donald. All right, so we'll, we'll see. And and uh, the NFL draft. Um, by the time people are listening to this, um, they'll know the results. Um, NBA playoffs. I quickly want to get yeah. into this uh, because your finals matchup. <laughs> not looking that great. Not looking that great. Well, half of it is it. Well, the set. I will give you the Seventy Sixers look very very good. Yeah. Um, I still don't think they're going to get past the the Cavaliers, but. Uh, that's for another day. So, you have them getting past, getting past second round and losing to the Cavaliers in the conference finals. Yeah, I think that's probably the most likely. My, you know, I'm strictly chalk. I think it's going to end up being the Warriors and um, the Cavaliers in the end. Uh, but your Western Conference pick of the Thunder, I do want to tell you, I don't think that's going to work out for you. Listen, at this point, I don't know if you watched last night, but biggest comeback in NBA history in the playoffs. That's all well and good. Carmelo Anthony's bad. Yeah, he's bad. He's really Why bad. Why is he still playing? I, I, that That's actually, the guy. Actually, my, my thought is that he actually needs to retire. Yeah. Well, they need to stop playing. He, Billy Donovan's like... He takes terrible shots. He isn't quick anymore. He gets yeah. burned by... Donovan Mitchell has gone past him so many times. It, he's lost not one step, like four steps. Yeah, no, he's, uh, he's definitely in a major, major decline. And his leaning on a guy in the post and trying to take a fadeaway shot, that's pretty much over now. I think he's hurting the team. He definitely is. To, to, and it's Billy Donovan's fault because to me... Well, if, Billy Donovan doesn't coach that team. No, I don't know how much you've watched no, uh, of the series... But talk about coaches that can't make the jump to the NBA. I mean, Billy, he was right to stay know, in actually, Florida the first time. I don't know if it's his fault or they don't. Clearly, they don't respect him. They're gonna do whatever they want to do. Um, and there was a point that he was like having a conversation with Carmelo. Um, not this game, but the the game before that. The uh, I think the fifth game, or rather the fourth game, um, where it looks like he was. More consulting him than actually coaching him. Yeah, no. I mean, look, that's going across. That's that's going on across the league. I mean, what do these head coaches do? I mean, who are the head coaches that really have authority right now? Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens. Pop. Yeah. Uh, I would say Steve Kerr has authority. You know, I mean, I know people don't like that he lets the players coach, but I think they listen to him. I think they respect him a lot. Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau has a ton of authority. <laughs> Tom Thibodeau has so much authority, he will play you into the ground. You know who has no, no authority? Jeff Hornacek with the Knicks. <laughs> no, he got a bad rap, but, you know, it wasn't his fault. But, uh, no, I... Do you I, think Mike D'Antoni has authority? I think he does. I think he has the respect of his players. Yeah. I think, I think he, his style very innovative. How could you... If you're James Harden, who's the best player on that team, how could you not respect them? He puts you in a position to be in the conversation of the yeah. best player in the league. So you have to respect them. Um, but there's not many, and Billy Donovan is definitely not one of them. But, yeah, I think you should bench Melo. I mean, if you could put some sort of system out there that mimics what Westbrook and Durant had, obviously Paul George being the Durant well, now. Well, this is the thing that happens. Because they're going to lose he Paul either, George. He either – Carmel either sits in the post and launches up a terrible shot and misses, or – he tries to space out, stay behind the three-point line, and I don't think he's hit a three-point line, a three-pointer since he left the Knicks. 
And he wasn't hitting that. And he wasn't hitting any then, yeah. He's got to get hits. Yeah. That's what it's about. You think he cares about playoffs and making it to the next round? And I mean, he's got to get hits. He's really not playing well. Really, really not playing it's well. It's unfortunate because, I mean, you as a Syracuse guy should yeah. love Melo. No, I mean, it, it, it is very unfortunate because he was good for, for you know, a long time. but The Knicks ruined him. A hundred percent. The Knicks ruined his prime. Yeah, and that's just what it comes down to. The Knicks really ruined his prime. I mean, if he would have, he should have stayed in Denver or whatever. He went somewhere smart because he could have won a championship like Dirk could have won a championship. If you built a team well, around him the way the you know Pans he went did, to the Western Conference Finals yeah, when he had Chauncey Billups, yeah, and, and they ended up losing to the Lakers. But um, he was in that trajectory. Um, but then he came to the Knicks. Um, they wasted. So many players. Three of the, th- I feel like sporting cast. Yeah, however many Gallo, Mozgov, and yeah. Wilson Chandler, and Raymond Felton, who was having a good season at that time. So. Yeah, so they ended up trading four. so much for him that they ended up wasting, I think, like three of the four years. And first round picks. Yeah. Which, like, contending teams, they're not looking for a first round pick like a, a LeBron or, you know, a top, top player. They use their first round picks, their late first round picks, to to get role players to yeah. help build the team. And he, he, that's what happened. His move to the Knicks ruined him. All right, we'll end on this note. Um, quickly. Quick, quickly, big news in New York media. Uh, happy, yeah. <laughs> extremely happy. Mike Francesa <laughs> returns to the airwaves of a WFAN um, after a four-month sabbatical. I mean, it is, it is pretty comical that he's, he's back. So well, right. It's absurd. It's absurd. <laughs> Think about the farewell tour that this guy had. <laughs> a year and a half. The last week, he's got celebrities calling in. He had about like 80 phone calls. About talking about how great he is. Yeah. He's got people, callers, crying on the phone who like... You look, yeah. you, you, you look like an idiot now. Yeah. I mean, I bet you wish you could take that phone call back because the guy's back four months later. Why are you crying anyway? You know, I mean, he's a radio host. I understand, you know, you listen to him every day, whatever, but uh, it's just a bad luck. But you know what? They He, he gets ratings, and, and that's all that counts. It's going to be awkward when he um, he does, like, those uh, those segments that he usually does, those interviews that he usually does. Yeah. You know, like the 5, the five o'clock with what, what was Joe Girardi yeah. and now Aaron Boone. Because so like Aaron people, Boone, I guess, isn't going to be as awkward. I was thinking about this, but yeah. he's not going to be as awkward because he never had the segment with Aaron yeah. Boone. But like Eli, because he yeah. does the Monday. So like, is Eli going to come back? And yeah. after all those nice things that Eli said, all right, I guess you know, yeah, we'll just back pick back. up where we left off. Yeah, it's like awkward. Uh, it's um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, and look, he like I said before, he gets ratings, so that's the most important thing for the station, and that's why they welcomed him back. Yeah, um, I but mean, you know, I, I feel for the, the the CMB crew a little bit. I, yeah, I mean it's it's sad. It's definitely sad, but because just like that, those interviews but they with lost, Aaron they Boone, lost the ratings book. Which I know, is, but it was three months. I I understand that, but I get it. This Not, is a, and it's an industry that that relies uh, on ratings and profit. It's a shoe in for the fan. Yeah. They know bringing them back. They're gonna get all their old advertisers oh. back. They're gonna get their ratings. You would back. have you have to be delusional if you think that. Michael K's show is going to oh yeah win the next. Well, one. look, I'll tell you what he did. 
and this is you know really credit to him is he made every show in this area must listen to over the past oh, yeah. three or four days. You want to listen to Michael K's thoughts on it, you know. Michael K actually had Chris Russo on yesterday. You want to listen to Mad Dogs? Listen, Mike, moves, Mike moves the needle. CMB. When, when it comes yeah. to uh, to New York media and sports radio, he a hundred percent moves moves the needle. And this next ratings cycle, ratings book, yeah. whatever it's going to be, um, he's going to trounce them. Yeah. He's going to trounce them. But look. I'm interested to see what Boomer does in the morning, too, because they've been hilarious. I don't know if you've listened, but since this news broke out, they've been really, really funny. So they're not holding back at all. They're, like, really upset about it. <laughs> Obviously, they're turning it into pure comedy. Yeah, you know, so. uh, I'll have to take a listen. All right. Um, thank you all for listening. Again, please rate, review, subscribe. An Indian Expert podcast. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on cloudsports.tk. Uh, you can find us on Anchor. Um, follow our expert Claudio Perfetto at cperfetto11 follow your idiot uh, at calchojo5 most importantly follow our twitter handle at idiotexpertpod we'll see you guys next week